Well, thank you, Matt, for those two kind of words. He exaggerated a little bit. I don't do that much around here. Um, but as Matt said, I've helped out around here. I've been a part-time employee for about a year, and I've, you know, I've been helping with Catalyst for, I guess, about a year now, this semester. So how about that? And um, so just that's just a little bit about me. But And I want you all to know that if you do know me, because I know I haven't met some of you all yet, and I'll try and work on that, um, I either like to talk a lot or I don't talk at all. But I'll try and meet in the middle and try and make ends meet. And for y'all in the front, if y'all hear a lot of page turning, um, I'm blind and I can't see, so I need big font. So that's a joke. You can laugh. All right, we'll work on that. So when Matt first talked to me about what we're going to be doing over this semester, you know, going through this book, you know, I'm sure y'all have seen it around just this book about all the questions we've been going. I just got ecstatic, just excited because we were given the opportunity to help to teach you about real life situations that might occur and just how to handle these tough questions. Because at some point or another, you will be asked these questions, you know, just such as does Christianity crush diversity? Aren't we better off with religion and all the others that we've talked about and that we will talk about, excuse me, throughout the, few weeks. Um, through this series, I just hope that we can equip you all to know how to be able to handle yourselves in these situations because they're going to come fast just like that. You're not going to see them coming. So I just, you know, I just pray and hope that each of y'all will take in what we've been preaching about these past few weeks and just, you know, use that knowledge in the real world. To get things started, Pastor Curtis said it best a few weeks ago, and I don't remember if this is an exact quote, but I'm going to try and paraphrase a little bit. If you are a Christian, you are now part of the visiting team. You no longer have home field advantage. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I've talked about this with some of my guys. Once you become a Christian, once you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you are immediately different from the rest of the world. You are immediately separated. An outcast, if you will, from society. They will see you in a totally different light. And those of you who do know me pretty well, you all always know I always have to tell a story. And when I was some of y'all's age, I think it was senior year in high school, uh, I, they let me take dual credits where I could take college classes as a high schooler. I think it was senior year I took British literature with Dr. Petty. Now let me tell you about this man. He was a character. And not, not only that, he was also an atheist too, which didn't really help my case because when he found out that I was a Christian... He, he kind of, you know, took notice and he wasn't a jerk about it, but he would kind of jab at me and just kind of target me about all these questions that he had about like, oh, doesn't the Bible say this? You know, trying to attack Christianity in general. And he'd say one thing and I'd come back and say, no, sir, this is what scripture says. And just that little anecdote, I hope will kind of get that mindset of what's going to happen and what we're trying to prepare you to do. You see, he had misconceptions about Christianity and the Bible, and he came after me because of them. And that is what this series is really about, to teach you how to handle those misconceptions and point people in the right direction so that you can show them what Christianity is truly like and how Christians are truly supposed to behave and act and love and believe and all that good stuff. As the chapter begins in the red book that I just showed you all, it's a quote from a British philosopher, Bertrand Russell stating, religion prevents us from 
That's a lot smaller than I thought it'd be. Religion prevents us from removing the fundamental causes of war. Religion prevents us from teaching the ethic of scientific cooperation in place of the old fierce doctrines of sin and punishment. It is possible that mankind is on the threshold of a golden age. But if so, it will first be necessary to slay the dragon that guards the door, and this dragon is religion. That's a lot to unpack right there. But you can kind of see where this mindset's coming from, where you know people are getting these wrong ideas about religion and Christianity. And to be fair, this quote was written in 1930, right after World War I. At this point in time, the bloodiest war in history, and in the middle of the Great Depression. So not a lot of good things were going on. But, you know, just, so why is it these people have misconceptions about religion, and even more so Christianity? I mean, I'm going to break it to y'all. The truth is, many things, terrible, terrible things have happened in the name of religion, or even by Christians, which is where these examples are used to attack our faith. And by all means, we're not perfect. We all know that. We're all taught that we're all sinners in the eyes of God. But the Bible also teaches us that violence is not the answer. So tonight, we ask the question, does religion cause violence? Before we answer that question, I think we have to be able to define violence. And according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, two definitions I've I've found that really kind of fit our case. Definition one, the use of physical force so as to injure, abuse, damage, or destroy. Or the second one, Injury by or as, if by distortion, to mislead, infringement or profanation, saying something terrible. So from these two definitions, we can really get two types of violence. We have physical violence and psychological violence. And we're about to go over why the Bible speaks out against both of these. So starting off with physical violence, the main example that the book uses is the Crusades. And so if y'all don't, If you do know me, I I want to be a history teacher, so here's your little lesson for the day. So the Crusades essentially was a war between the European Christian nations and the Islamic caliphates of the Middle East. It started in about 1095, and if I'm right, went on for about 100 years or so. But, you know, the picture that I'm sure some of y'all have, you know, heard this before about, like, what really started the Crusades was that Christian Europeans wanted to retake the Holy Land from Muslim rule. Well, I mean, yes, that's kind of what happened, but there's a lot more to it than that. And as historian Thomas Mann puts it, the Crusades are one of the most misunderstood events in Western history. And so when I was younger, they used to tell us, and I'm, at least I hope that they tell you all this, but you know, whoever gets in a fight in school who usually gets in trouble? Whoever hits second, right? Y'all have heard that before? Uh, cool. So that is exactly what has happened here. So while you know they paint this picture of trying to blame Christian Europeans for starting the war, that's not really what happened. Long before all this began, Islamic states began a rapid and aggressive expansion into North Africa, Middle East, even taking over Spain, Portugal, and poking into France. If you can pull that map up, you can see right here, this red part, that's where it originally started. And you see as it goes to orange, takes Egypt, Israel, all those nations, and stretching as far all the way to the Atlantic and even into Europe. Not only this, but these Islamic states also began murdering 
innocent Christians that were already living there or pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem. So naturally, Europe just couldn't stand by. They had to do something. They were, you know, there was something needed to be done. And that's exactly what happened. So to skip a couple steps, Israel was invaded, Jerusalem was taken, and, you know, that's the end of that story. But where these misconceptions come from is that at the time, was it good intentions? Kind of. But things got out of hand really quickly. And when Jerusalem was taken, European soldiers began massacring tens of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. So this is where these ideas come from. It's like, oh, Christianity is violent. Look at all the people they just killed. Well, sure, but you have to look at how much further back has happened since then. This is one of the many stains that are on Christianity's good name, just as the Protestant Reformation, the English religious wars, which lasted for over 200 years in Europe as Christians were just killing each other, the Rwandan genocide of 1994 and more. Though many terrible things have been done by Christians in the name of Christianity, if we look into Scripture, the Bible tells us otherwise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, it teaches us, you know, don't seek revenge, but to turn the other cheek. I'm sure most of y'all have heard that before. And then Matthew 5, 44, it teaches us that we just need to pray for our enemies. We need to pray for them just in every way that we can. And then Luke chapter 22, 49 through 53, uh, at that part, that's when Jesus gets arrested and, you know, cut the ear off and, you know, Jesus tells him to put the sword away. In that, he is rebuking violence, and he even states to the people who are arresting him, I am not here for a violent uprising. I am here just to preach the word of God, and y'all know the rest of that story. And there's one big one that I hope all of you know. It's one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20.13. You shall not murder. I really hope I don't have to explain that to y'all. You know, just four simple words we are already conveying that we are told from the get-go that this is not okay. Violence out against other people is not okay. And there's a little part under that, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But as we move on, we just go on to physiological violence. And to reiterate while we're talking about this, especially in this example, you have people in this world who claim to be Christian But they don't act like Christians. They don't talk like Christians. They don't behave like Christians. They, they just all but name. And it's, it paints bad misconceptions for us, real question, real Christians, excuse me, you know, who love each other and, you know, practice the faith and do all those good things that we know to do. And though it's not talked about in the book primarily, the example that I chose is the Westboro Baptist Church. Now, some of y'all probably heard about them, some maybe not. They were really big, I say big, prevalent in the early 2000s. They were around. And don't let the name fool you. Even though it says church, they are not a church in any kind of sense. They're nothing but a hate group who just preaches hate. And like I said, early in the 2000s, they were just prevalent all over the news. They would protest soldiers' funerals other events, and they were known for carrying these picket signs. And they did not have good things on them. Like a few of them, I have a few examples. God hates America, or God hates you. And these are the nicest ones I could find. But yeah, this 
These people, you can tell, they do not paint a good picture for us, right? And that's what, you know, people see this and they think, oh, they call themselves Christians, so that's what all Christians write like. No, absolutely not. And it's just, you know, it's frustrating to see that people can't convey that, you know, they claim these false titles and we take the punishment for it, right? So here's what Scripture says about that. Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule, right? You know, y'all have all heard that before in any shape or form. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving to each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. John 13.34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then there's some more that you can look out there. Galatians 6, 10, Luke 6, 35, Colossians 3, 12, and much, much more. And all of these and many more provide a basis to show that, you know, Christians are taught not to speak hate. We're taught to be kind, loving, compassionate, and caring for everyone, for our neighbors. And as it was Christians also, you know, they talk about all these hateful things. Just think about how much good Christians have done for this world. Christians developed hospitals, founded countless universities like TCU, Baylor, you know, Abilene Christian, all these. And that's just in Texas. And there are just so many out there that have done these good things. And then you have people like Martin Luther King Jr., you know? What was he known for? You know, civil rights movement, right? And he, his big thing was peaceful protests. Not a single time did he use any violent means to get his message across? And it worked, right? Because after all, what does God teaches us? That love will always beat violence, not more violence. And Jesus himself is the ultimate example and his death on the cross of how Christianity views violence. As the book says, Christianity does not glorify violence, it humiliates it. Jesus, the Son of God, the most powerful man to ever walk this earth, died on the cross in the most cruelest and horrific fashions to die. He did that for us to show that he can overcome violence, overcome death, and do it so that we didn't have to. Because after all, y'all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and y'all know the rest. Good. Before I close, there's one thing I want to try and shoehorn in before we get going. And I want to hit on that there is a difference between violence and justifiable action. And what I mean by justifiable action, I'm talking about, I'm sure some of y'all have questioned about this already, you know, self-defense, war, and stuff like that. And just kind of start things off when we're talking about war, right? Well, King David in the Old Testament, if y'all know his story, he was a man who's called after excuse me, a man after God's own heart. And he had, you know, he's a great warrior, right? Fought in many wars and many battles since he was just a boy. And, you know, we still look at him and think that that is a man after God's own heart. And I spoke earlier on one of the commandments, as it is right there, and you'll see that it says, under murder, it says, the unlawful taking of life. And in the original translation of the Hebrew word, which i should have written down, but that's what it says, the unlawful taking of a life. So when it comes to war versus murder, there's a bit of a difference, right? You just have to really get into it. 
And when it comes to it, God is not against war on the only instance that it is for a just cause, whether it is in defense of your nation or a true belief that the war we are fighting whenever is a just war. It is okay for Christians to go to war under only those two circumstances and a few others, but those are the main two. Such as God called David and Joshua, you know, Joshua at the city of Jericho, they called them to go to war against their enemies for a just cause. And there is some scripture that goes with that to include. We got Psalms 18.34 and Psalms 144 and 1. And there's plenty of others out there. You just have to go look for them. And then obviously the story of King David. And then moving on to the last bit, we have self-defense. And I'm sure some of y'all have been thinking, you know, if, you know, if we're not allowed to be violent, how can we defend ourselves or our friends? Well, you absolutely can. You know, if someone's attacking you, a loved one, a family, friend, whatever, you have the absolute right to defend yourself. In fact, we are encouraged to defend not only ourselves, but to defend others. Such as in Matthew 26, 52, Luke 22, 36 through 38, these are a few examples of, that are given of Jesus' own disciples being acknowledged of being armed. You know, Jesus acknowledged and sometimes encouraged them to be armed as they traveled in order to defend themselves. And in scriptures, as in Psalms 82, 3 through 4, it says that we must give justice and rescue to the weak and needy. So, like I said, not only are we able to protect ourselves, but we're able to protect others as well who need it. So remember that there is a difference between pure violence, like we talked about in the beginning, and justifiable actions, which I just covered. So going back to the question, does religion cause violence? I think we can obviously see that scripture tells us that Christians, that we need to be kind, caring, and compassionate towards everyone, including our enemies. Now, it may seem silly to us as you know, we've all grown up here that just, you know, why do we need to ask ourselves these questions? But that's just the way the world is. And they just don't understand like we do. So in the end of the chapter, it says, the Bible teaches us to expect moral failure from Christians. We're not perfect by any stretch at all. We are far from perfect. But there are real Christians, and there are those who claim to be, like some of the people I talked about earlier. And it is our job to make sure people understand the truth about our faith, our God, and his world. And in order to do a job, you're going to need a tool. Here is your tool. This is the main tool you'll need in order to show people what Christianity is, who our Lord is, and what he truly stands for. So please use it well. If you'll please pray with me. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this amazing fellowship that you allow us to have and just get together. And I pray as we go throughout these weeks and throughout these nights that you'll just open up these these young people's hearts, that they'll just be able to stand for you and stand firm in your belief, Lord. And I just pray as you go throughout this life that they'll be able to reach out and just reach out to many of those who need it or who just don't understand, Lord. And I just pray as we just go throughout that they will follow your will, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.